Welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the Adventist ministry context. If you've been enjoying the Propel podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to podcast at propelconference.org. If there's something in particular you'd like to hear more of at a future Propel conference, or if there's something else you'd like to tell us, email podcast at propelconference.org. Also, we'd love it if you took a moment to leave a review for the podcast on whatever platform you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, whatever. Your review, good or bad, will really help us. This episode once again features Richie Halverson, Director of Church Growth and Revitalization for the Southern Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. There he coaches churches, pastors, and lay leaders to maximize their impact in evangelism, church planting, and revitalization. I've appreciated Richie's ministry over the years, and when we began dreaming about the Propelled Conference, Richie was the first speaker that I called. In this episode, Richie talks about ways that you can meet felt needs in your community. I think that you're going to really appreciate his message, and we'll hear from him in just a moment. First, I'd like to highlight the sponsor of this episode, Adventist Information Ministry. This is the epicenter of interest management for the North American division of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, focusing on digital evangelism, interest tracking, and connecting media ministry interests to the local church. Adventist Information Ministry facilitates, empowers, and supports digital small group Bible studies, online communities, and digital evangelism. They also supervise and support a customer service management system that links all institutions, departments, social media platforms, and digital ministries with the goal of caring for and ministering to people in broadcast and the digital space. The leader of this ministry is my friend Brent Harding, and we really appreciate the support of Adventist Information Ministry for this episode of the Propel Podcast. You can learn more at AdventistInfo.org. That's AdventistInfo.org. Okay, let's go to the presentation in this episode. Here is Richie Halverson speaking at Tuesday morning's main session at the 2023 Propel Conference. It is a blessing to be with you and, and just be able to talk about uh, evangelism, one of my favorite subjects. And uh, I can't stress that enough is, is writing down and, and, and using stuff that you learn. Every time I go, I remember as a kid watching my dad, he would never listen to a sermon and not have a notebook or something with him. He would never go to a presentation. And we got to be teachable. We learn from each other. That's how we grow. Amen? And I was at Pelk, uh, com- uh, Pelk Conference, Evangelism Conference there at Oakwood University. And Larry and I were there. And, and we're writing down notes together. And I look over at his little notebook. And he looks at my notebook. And they were the same exact notebook. And uh, so we were kind of kindred spirits. And it's not just like a normal notebook book. This was kind of very interesting, but uh, good minds think alike, you know? So yeah, write down your ideas and thoughts, and and, uh, we, we grow together and learn together. Let me have another word of prayer as we get into this morning's um, subject. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the awesome God that you are. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to guide and direct. Lord, you know exactly what your objective is. 
through this conference, through this message, through everything. It, it's not always exactly our agenda. It's always about your agenda because uh, that's the agenda that matters. And I pray that you would just empower us to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, meeting needs which is what ministry is, is, is all about. Good evangelism is going to meet a need. And this is why it's so important for us to be aware of the kind of needs that need to be met in our community. And we need to understand our community. And I want us to look at, through the lens of Nehemiah, one of my favorite books on leadership. I love Nehemiah because it's all about rebuilding. And that's really what we do in ministry. It's about restoring the mission. It is about rebuilding and building God's kingdom. It is all about repairing what was broken and burned out and seemingly beyond repair. It wasn't really about rebuilding the walls. The walls only mattered because it protected the people on the inside. See, this building does not matter in of itself, only that it, 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 it provides a way for the people of God to come together. Amen? And so, and so places are important, but they're not more important than people. And that's what Nehemiah reminds us. It's all about rebuilding people's lives. That's what we're called to do. Church isn't to be a program-driven church. It's to be a people-driven church who represent the person of Jesus Christ. You see, because the church is often program-driven, and we love programs, because we, you know, we want to have a textbook that's just going to kind of solve our, our, our church growth issues. But the problem with that is uh, programs have a shelf life, they, 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 they expire. Not every program reaches every person. And so I want to talk more about principles when I, when I talk about things because some programs don't always translate. You can have a church filled with programs but without any people in it. We've got churches that are not growing, and one of the reasons is because we're so tired on sustaining programs that may not be meeting the needs they used to when they were created, that we're too tired to try new and innovative ways to reach our community. And so we've got to always reevaluate the way we do ministry. The principles stay the same, but the programs change. Nehemiah. Meeting needs evangelism is all about repairing lives. Every day, we are in the work of repairing, rebuilding, repairing relationships, renewing people's health, you know, restoring hope, restoring people's faith and, and finances. You know, it's, it's restoring people's connectedness. It's rebuilding lives. We have to be in a constant state of building and rebuilding because the enemy is constantly tearing people down. And so we've got to always be in this process of building and rebuilding people's lives. And that's why Nehemiah was written for us. Notice in Nehemiah 1.3, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Immediately, Nehemiah begins with bad news. The news about the condition of Jerusalem was rough. 
turn on the news and the condition of our world is rough. Inflation is rough. Man, there was a time where, you know, $100 could actually buy you something at the grocery store. But now, man, you, you know, as a family, man, you could used to be able to get some eggs and make something, man, get creative with those eggs. But now we live in a day and age where even the price of eggs is rough. Filling up the tank is rough. I thought it was rough for me. But then I look at your guys' gas prices. Mercy. You know all about that. Raising teenagers, raising a family in today's day and age, it's rough. Our young people are dealing with questions and identity issues that, that, that some of us, you know, didn't, didn't experience on the same level. They're, they're constantly bombarded by different ideas and things that, that may be opposed to what the Bible says. And, and it's becoming so incredibly normal. I mean, it, it's getting rough. Make no mistake, doing effective evangelism and doing what we need to do to engage our community and win people for Jesus is, is rough. Why? Well, because it involves people. And like it or not, people are messy. People are not going to fit into our nicely drawn lines of what we will accept and when we will accept them. People are broken and messy and so are you. Every day we are sifting through the rubble of broken promises and we are picking up the pieces of broken hearts. And that is a rough work. There's no harder work than the work with people. Rebuilding is rough. Just ask Nehemiah. Notice Josephus, the ancient historian, notice what he said about Nehemiah. He said people constantly laid traps for him, spread rumors about him, constantly harassed him, uh, sought to destroy him uh, to the point that he almost left and gave up. I see too many Christians in churches at the point of almost giving up. I see too many relationships of the point of giving up. I see too many people giving up on the church, and I see too many churches giving up on people. And I just so, so many times I'll, I'll talk to people, and they're just kind of like, oh, well, that didn't work. We didn't, that didn't ha help. You know, that didn't do anything. And, that, and, and they're just kind of going, oh, well, I guess we'll just keep doing nothing. I see too many people giving up, but the key word here in Josephus is the word, is that, is that word almost. I want you to say that with me, almost. Almost. See, I've discovered there's a big difference between almost giving up and giving up. There is a big difference between almost breaking up and breaking up. There's a big difference between relapsing and almost relapsing. Between almost closing a church and closing a church. So I was pastoring in, in Tennessee near Chattanooga and uh, I was, a pastor came up to me who was going into, uh, back into the military chaplaincy work and he had worked real hard on trying to develop a ministry with a church that really didn't have any people in it. This is just bizarre. Every day there was ministry happening out of that church. But people had stopped meeting there. There were only three people that met there regularly every Sabbath. 
to, to study the Bible study together. But the church as it once was, was, was over. I mean, it was, it was done. So he came to me and he says, man, we've got, we've got AA meeting on this day and we got this ministry meeting on this day. And he had ministry going out but no people in the church as far as membership. So he asked me if, if I would have a willingness to kind of help with this project. And then the conference came to me and says, Richie, would you, do you have an interest? And, and I'm kind of a sucker for punishment. It's not like I didn't have enough work, but, but when I see something that has so much potential, I'm just kind of drawn to it. And so we, 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 we went into this and my associate pastor at the time, and we did what we called a, a replant. We, we didn't revitalize that church because the church as it once was, was gone. And so we planted a new church. And, and this church was going to make community a priority. And so that's what happened. And we did evangelism after evangelism. And we, we looked at the community and we found ways to meet the needs of the local community. And just two years after we relaunched, uh, we launched that church plant, the church had gone from an average of three people to an average of over 40 people every Sabbath. And I just heard from one of the local elders, and it's all lay-led, by the way. It's all lay-led. And he, uh, the, one of the lay leaders there, a retired pastor, reached out to me and says, Hey, Richie, we want you to come to our mortgage burning because we've just paid off the mortgage of our building. You see, there is a big difference between almost closing down and closing down. Are you tracking with me this morning? So, how did God do it? Regular, relevant evangelism meeting needs in the community. So how was Nehemiah able to rebuild even in rough situations? How can we rebuild uh, the kingdom of God, build the kingdom of God when evangelism and meeting needs seems to be rough? Well, how did Nehemiah do it? I want to look at these three points this morning in my message. Prayer, people, and a person. These are ways that we can rebuild even when it gets rough. First, let's start with prayer. So, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Whether it is church life, relationship, career, or calling, rebuilding always begins with praying. It always begins with praying. I, I believe we do not have a program problem. We have a power problem. And, and we need to always be much, make much of prayer. Ian Bounds said, prayerlessness is the highest form of arrogance and self-righteousness. You see, Nehemiah understands that the best laid plans without prayer are worthless. And that's why he prays before he plans. Too often, we plan and then we pray. We plan and then we baptize our plans and we call them God's plans. Too often, we come to the board meeting knowing how we're going to vote before we ever got there. We got to stop doing that. Nehemiah prayed and then he planned. If we're going to build anything, especially when it's rough, we got to stop praying our plans and start planning our prayers. Notice what uh, Mr. White says. 
Jesus was the greatest educator the world ever knew. His instructions were so simple that all understood him, both the, the educated and uneducated. You seem to think your long talks have a special influence to mold and fashion your hearers just as you wish, but you will certainly fail in this. You would have much better influence if you would talk less and pray more. God is your source of strength. Man, we got to make much of prayer. I mean, if you just left, left this conference praying more in your evangelism, I promise you'll see more fruit in your evangelism. And that's what breaks my heart. You know, if I, if I go to a, if I go to a, a, a Sunday church midweek on Wednesday, I'm lucky to find a parking lot. If I go to an Adventist church at a midweek uh, prayer meeting, I'm lucky to find a car. <laughs> And don't get me wrong, I am not in any way suggesting that we don't need to change the way we do prayer meeting. Because you see, if people aren't coming to prayer meeting, it's because it's not meeting a need. And we can't just guilt them and say, oh, well, they're just not as holy as we are. Prayer is just not a priority to them. No, that's not true. But we can't expect people to come to some some book reading and have a little prayer and call that prayer meeting. People want to come to something that meets a need. If it's not meeting a need, you've got to change it. If it's boring, change it. Make it worshipful. People come to something that meets a need. Make it vibrant. Make it worshipful. We made our prayer, I, I didn't even call it prayer meeting, I called it midweek uh, service, and, and man, we had, a, we had a, a, a vibrant sermon, we had music, we worshiped, and then we spent the whole rest of the time in prayer. Real prayer takes practice. No one is born a prayer warrior. If you know someone in your life, you, raise your hand if you have a prayer warrior that you know. Man, they seem to have just a line directly to the throne room of grace. That was my mom. That is my mom. My mom is a prayer warrior. She prayer journals and she, she writes down her prayers so she can claim them after she gets them. And recently she came up to my sisters. I got two older sisters and they're the closest thing to angels as you can get, you know. They never do anything wrong and then I came along, right? And my mom comes up to us and said, hey, uh, guys, when I, when I die, you're going to get these prayer journals. And, and she said, you know, girls, you're going to need to bring a few boxes. Richie, you're going to need to bring a U-Haul. <laughs> uh, I am alive today because of my mother's prayers. Let me tell you, that does not just happen. No one's born that way. Prayer is like a muscle. Either you use it or you lose it. We know that Nehemiah practiced a lot of prayer because the moment the king said to him, his very next response, so I pray to the God of heaven, his prayer's immediate. It's without hesitation. It's muscle memory. What's your immediate reaction when you get bad news? You know, how do, what's your first impulse when the board does not go the way you thought it should go? How do you react when the rebuilding gets rough? Is prayer your first response or is it your last resort? In recovery, I was told that if I just spent a quarter of the time that I used to pray into using, 
and manipulating and lying and trying to find ways to use more. If I just used a quarter of that time into my recovery, I'd have no problem staying clean. Friends, if we just took the, if, if we just put half the time into prayer that we put into complaining and worrying and debating and gossiping, if we just took half, a quarter, no, uh, just a small tenth of that energy and we put it into prayer, we'd be in the kingdom already. If we just took half the energy and time we put into that and we put it into prayer. Leonard Ravenhill said, prayer is not a preparation for the battle, it is the battle. That is the battle. Oswald Chambers says that prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greatest of works. Nehemiah understood this. It's why every chapter before he does anything, he's praying. He's praying. He's walking through the rubble and he's praying. When you walk through the rubble of your community, are you praying? Or are you just praying for your family and pray for them? But are you praying for your community? Are you praying for this neighborhood? Because until we start praying, we're never going to see success in our evangelism. And I'm not suggesting we use prayer as a way to prolong or postpone the process either. Nehemiah didn't use prayer as an excuse to not do what God already told him to do. See, sometimes we'll say, well, well you know what, Pastor, let me pray on that. Or we'll say, you know, well, well let's pray on that. And, and our absolutely pray on it but sometimes we say that about stuff that God has already given us the answer he's already told you and his answer is the same even if you postpone for six months his answer is the same do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry well we got to pray about whether or not to do evangelism no you don't have you may pray about how you may pray about you know pray for our people pray for your community all that you don't need to pray whether or not you need to do evangelism this year God's already told you we we don't just we don't do evangelism we live evangelism Nehemiah reminds us rebuilding begins and ends with prayer his prayers are vulnerable They're transparent. He falls down and he weeps. He's honest. C.S. Lewis said, I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. See, not only is he honest, Nehemiah identifies with his own people's sins, even though, check this out, he did not commit that particular sin. We will never effectively do evangelism until we stop looking at the people out there in the world as though they're the problem and we're not. We will never effectively reach people when we have an us and them mentality. When, okay, we're, we're, we're good and they're not good. As though we're the solution and those people out there are the problem. No, we are all the problem. We're all broken and there's only one solution and you are not it. It's Jesus. Yeah, but pastor, we're remnant. We're remnant. Listen to me. I believe this church is a part of that remnant movement. But just because your name is on the church books does not make you remnant. And I promise you, some churches I've been to, when these people run up to me and love to brag that they're remnant, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you're remnant. You're the only one left because you chased everyone else away. You're always bragging you're remnant. Listen to me. Friends, Christ is the only real remnant. 
Because when he was nailed to Calvary, they all forsook him and fled. And if you were there, you would have forsaken him too. And so if you are able to stand in those last days, it isn't you standing. It is Christ standing in you. Do you cry over your community in your prayers? Do you pray for the crackhead salvation as much as you pray for your children's salvation? Does your heart hurt for those people that you don't like? Republicans, are you praying for those Democrats? Not with an, oh man, those people are the problem way. Are you really genuinely praying for them? Democrats, are you praying for those Republicans? Or do you look at each other with contempt? Last time I checked, God's not a Republican or a Democrat. He's an independent. <laughs> Until we start praying for people, our heart bleeds for people, we're never going to see evangelism work. Which leads to the second point, people. Prayer and people. Not only was Nehemiah's success built on prayer, but it was built with people. I once heard someone say, I love ministry, it's the people I can't stand. People are our work. I remember uh, I, I, there's been various times in, in ministry I'm working on a sermon, you know, and, and, and someone will be calling me. And, and, and I'm not saying every time, you know, a member calls, it's an emergency because some members call and think it's an emergency when it's not an emergency. And you don't need to be answering every time they call because that's not helping them. That's enabling them. So I'm not suggesting that. But there have been plenty of times where I'm getting calls while I'm working on a sermon. And the, my, my first reaction is, man, will these people quit bugging me? Don't they know that I'm working and writing a sermon? And then the Holy Spirit hits me. Richie, interruptions are your work. It's about people. It's not about your sermon. The, the only important thing about the sermon is that it connects with people. It connects me with people. People. Rebuilding can't happen without community. You cannot have church at home watching 3ABN. That's not church. I believe in online ministry. I believe in streaming. That's where the people are. So we need to be doing it, but... That is not church. You know, church is coming. You see, when I'm at home, as in recovery, we had a saying, when I'm alone, I'm in terrible company. Same goes for the sinner. You see, when I'm home alone, I get a very small picture of who God is. I only see the image of God that is reflected in me. And, and, and I see God is no bigger than, than me. And, and, and his strength is no bigger than me. And he, he has the same biases as I do. And the, the same uh, idols as I do, you see. But when I come around the church, I see the image of God in you, 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 you. And I get such a bigger vision of who God is. And when we get honest, when people get honest and they share their struggles, it, there's this beautiful thing called identification. Man, people think, wow, I can identify with his struggle. And if God got a hold of him, he can get a hold of me. We can't rebuild without community. You can't run off to a cave and, and, and hide there away from the world. Friends, listen to me. You got to go into the world. Jesus said, go into the world, not leave the world. 
We got to go to where the people are. Churches leave, leave, you know, cities and communities that are falling apart because the real estate value is going down. Are you kidding me? We're not in the work of real estate and, and, and what the value of our church building is. We're in the work of, of the real estate of people's hearts. And listen, if the church pulls out of a broken community, what is left to hold it together? We are called to hold it together. Come on, we're the salt of the earth. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Too often, we want to operate as a bunch of lone rangers instead of brothers and sisters. And it doesn't work. Too often, our ministries are, are we have this silo ministry mentality where we're competing against each other. You know, and that's just not going to work. You know, we'll fight evangelism method against evangelism method. Everybody says, no, this is the way we need to do evangelism. The personal evangelism folk are against the public evangelism folk. The church planting people are against the revitalization people and vice versa. The prophecy people are versus the felt need people. And here's the thing. We need all of those people. I don't got to tear down your way of doing evangelism because it's not my way of doing evangelism. We need all methods to reach all people. Just because I'm not gifted in a certain area doesn't mean that I need to tear the others down. We need each other. We need to trust each other. You know, just because you, ex you know, if you experienced a meeting, and, and I've been to some meetings that were a very unhealthy experience. I'm going to be honest. I've, I've gone to evangelistic meetings where I left there feeling more hopeless than hopeful. Yeah, yeah. I've left meetings where I thought, how in the world can I be saved? People should leave our evangelistic meetings with, where we've made so much of Jesus, they leave thinking, how in the world can I ever be lost with Jesus? Died. I went, once went to a meeting and they were, they were cracking down and the, the pastor spent 30 minutes talking about how bad and the woes of, of listening to Barry Manilow. Listen to me, friends. <laughs> I, and, and I don't know nothing. I mean, I know about Barry Manilow, but I, you know what? I left there thinking, and then we wonder why we're not connecting with young people, why we're not connecting with people. I left there thinking, mercy, if Barry Manilow is off, then I am doomed. <laughs> How unrelevant can we be? How not meeting needs can we be? And I'm not saying we don't call sin by its name. We do. But we've got to make sure we are meeting a need and connecting with people. That we're sharing, we're uplifting Jesus. We're making much of him. Because he's the only one who can convert. People are always coming up to me and saying, yeah, but pastor, what about repentance? You know, we need to call people to repent. Absolutely. I believe in repentance. I believe in calling sin, sin. And I believe in having those tough conversations with people. But I do it in the context of love. And I do it in the context of supporting them in their journey. This is so key. This is what repentance is. It's to a desire to follow Jesus. And, and change your orientation from a sinner running away from the Savior towards sin to an orientation of running from sin towards the Savior. Still a sin, sinner, 
but now you're, you're recognizing what sin is and you said, Lord, I, I want to follow you. That doesn't mean you get it all together all at once. I believe in what we, in what we believe and teach. But friends, if they're willing to accept our teaching and they have a desire to follow Jesus and they're willing to let the Holy Spirit transform them, then I am not going to get in their way of being baptized and entering into the family of God. It takes time to change. And it's not on your schedule or my schedule. It's on God's schedule. This is so key. Friends, this is discipleship 101. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild. It wasn't enough for Nehemiah to have good prayer life. He had to have good people in his life. This is so important. No sin is private. It may be secret, but it is not private. Sin is three-dimensional and has consequences in three directions. Towards God, towards self, towards society. A part of sanctification is restoring community. It's reconciliation. We need, to, we need to help empower people to live a transformed life. Because every day we're under attack. I want you to notice this. I love this. Every other, every other verse in chapter 3, you run into this phrase, next to him and next to him and next to him. They had to build together as a team because that's the only way we can rebuild. In Nehemiah 4.23, it says they slept in their clothes. I, my brothers, my workmen, and the guards backing me up, and each one kept his spear in his hand, even when getting water. We're always under attack. we got to have each other's back. Nehemiah 4.17, those who were building the wall, they had to carry their burdens in such a way as they worked with one hand and they fought with the other hand. Israel had to build and they had to fight with the same time, and so do we. Building relationships while fighting deadlines at work. Building faith while fighting back the fear. Building intimacy in a marriage while fighting the temptation of the website. Building savings while fighting inflation. Building the kingdom while fighting pandemics and problems. Building vision of mission in the board while fighting the negative Nancys on your board. And every church I've been, I've had one of those people negative and and always you know the church is on fire and they're always like well they, they always got to play devil's advocate I once had someone say because they always voted no and I said you know what you know I've noticed something you always vote no I said in the board meeting, I said, well, you know, why? I mean, you, you're, you, well, you know, why are you even serving on the board if you're, if you're so against everything the board decides to do? You always vote no. He goes, yeah, that's right. And I want the minutes to reflect that I always say no. Come on. Friends, that is messed up. Don't play the devil's advocate all the time. The devil's got enough advocates. Play an advocate for Jesus for once. He tells the people, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So whenever an area was attacked, they would rally together and support each other. Rally to defend instead of criticize. Rally to help instead of hurt. Rally to support instead of criticize. Rally to the single moms and the hurting people, the forgotten people. Don't just rally to the people that, that fit your demographic. Rally to all people. This is how we need to do evangelism. Help them, remind them they're not alone. Which leads to the last point, person. Notice it says that God will fight for us. So yes, we need to support each other, fight alongside each other, but ultimately, friends, victory comes from one person, and that's Jesus. 
More than anything else, people are looking for Jesus. They may not know it, but that's ultimately what everybody's looking for. The relationship people are looking for the most is with Jesus. Give them Jesus. Nehemiah is made up of two parts. Nahum, which means to comfort, and Yah, the shortened name of the Lord. You put them together and it means the Lord is my comfort. How is Nehemiah able to rebuild even when it was rough? This is how. The Lord was his comfort. How can you stand tall for evangelism even when people are going to be against you? Well, because your comfort doesn't come from the board. It comes from Jesus. This is how you can stand up and make an appeal even when you don't feel comfortable doing it. Because your comfort doesn't come from how well you're perceived by other people. It comes from the Lord. See, the problem with finding your comfort in your money, in your position, in your stuff, in your abilities, in your youth, in your beauty, find your comfort in your morality, give me a break, is you can lose it. There's only one thing that will never fail you, and when you fail him, forgive you. Our comfort must be in the Lord. When doing evangelism, if you look to comfort in the result of the meeting, you're in trouble. Because the fact is, some meetings flop. Some ideas don't work. You can do everything right sometimes, and everything can still go wrong. So you cannot put your comfort in the result. Put it in the relationship of Jesus Christ. When the rebuilding gets rough, we must find comfort in Christ. And the good news is our Lord specializes in rebuilding in the rough. Amen? Man, he was born during the roughest time of earth's history. I don't know, but if, if, if I was to become flesh, I think I would have chosen the day of self-driving cars, cars and microwaves. But Jesus says, no, that's too easy. My incarnation has to give hope to the people in the roughest condition. He was born to persecution under Roman occupation. He was born into rumor and he was born into gossip. He was born at an inconvenient time in the middle of the night. He wasn't raised by a wealthy, affluent, upper class, or even middle class family. Jesus grew up in a poor family. How do we know? Well, when his parents bring him to be blessed, they bring two pigeons, which was the offering given by the poorest class. He was raised, raised in the roughest part of town, a place where people said nothing good could come out of. So when people say, oh, pastor, you don't know, evangelism doesn't work here. Let me tell you, evangelism works when we work it. When we work it the right way and we meet needs. Man, Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. His closest followers manipulated him and rejected him. He was lynched by a mob. No justice, no defense, completely forsaken and alone. But what's amazing is when Pilate asks Barabbas or Jesus, the people in unison cry out, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And what's amazing about that is if Jesus had the same choice, he would have said the same thing. Take me and let him go free. He was crucified between two thieves. He was stripped naked from a crib to a cross, born in a borrowed room, died in a borrowed tomb. Look at all the hell Jesus went through in order to rebuild you and me and rebuild those in your community. All those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, 
You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down off that cross. What's interesting is this is almost identical to Nehemiah's critics. What are you, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burned ones out? By the way, friends, the devil is saying the same thing about you and me. But there are no hopeless cases with Jesus. What's interesting is this word revive, the critics used to mock Jesus, Nehemiah, in Nehemiah, is a word that's used elsewhere for resurrection. John 2.19, destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to raise it up. Jesus let the temple of his body get broken so that three days later he could raise us up from our brokenness. And now no matter how rough the rebuilding gets, because Christ went through the roughest rebuilding of his temple, you're going to make it through yours. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the awesome God that you are. For all that you have done and all you are doing. Lord, help us to see those three essential things that... Just as those principles empower Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem, the hopes and the dreams of the people, that those three principles work today. Prayer. Lord, we've got to pray for people. We, our heart has to burn for people like your heart burns for people. We've got to stop praying our plans and start planning our prayers. Lord, I pray that, that we would start seeing that we are in the people business. And if we have programs that don't connect with people, then they're worthless. Though you will help us to see that, that people are more important than places or programs. Lord, I pray that we will see that, that people are the most beautiful thing to you because they're the only thing that you've created in your image. Lord, I pray that we will make much of you, that we will lift Jesus up. And as we lift Jesus up, people will start showing up. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that we will make much of you because it, it, we can't attract anyone to us. We can only attract people to you. Lord, I pray you would hide us behind your cross, that when people see us, they see you. Before Jesus ever preached a sermon, he fed people. He healed people. He, 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 he laughed with people. He, he, he was always investing in their lives. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And we saw that through Jesus more than anyone else. Lord, help us to do that kind of ministry. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, one of the things we did at the Propel Conference was the practice of reflection. Stop for a moment and think about how what you just heard could be applied to your ministry. And at the Propel Conference, we even offered some reflection questions for you to consider. What was the big idea for you? How will you apply this in your own ministry context? What are you inspired to do? And when this episode finishes in a bit, I encourage you to pause for five or 10 minutes and just let your mind wander. This reflection time can be really powerful. Okay, that's it for this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at propelconference.org. Special thanks to Richie Halverson for speaking at the Propel Conference this year. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. 
The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and is produced by the crew at Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of The Propel Podcast. Thank you.